folks, you are listening to Rewriting Our Future, a Mind Control Exodus, with me, Paul Henning. Join us on our journey as we explore and actively work to deprogram ourselves from the forces in the world that socially engineer our lives. Are the politicians, doctors, scientific experts, and news anchors telling us the truth? Is school, pop culture, social media, and television programming supporting the development of our highest consciousness, healthiest bodies, and most sovereign selves? The more we research and listen to our intuition, the more we find that this answer is a loud and resounding no. And so, we are rewriting our future to opt out of the mind control these forces tirelessly aim to manipulate and coerce us with. Welcome to the show, where we are all figuring this out together. In this episode, I sit down again with my wife, Catherine, and we talk about climate change. We talk about some recent news on geoengineering, we talk about our experiences studying science in university, and we listen to a really powerful talk by a woman named Rosa Quarry, who has passed away now, but this talk really blew our minds, and it's 30 minutes long, and we're really excited to share it with um, others. You'll notice that the dates when we're talking are a little out of order, because this was actually recorded uh, about eight months ago when we first thought about doing the show. So it's a little out of order, but I don't think it matters because it's uh, an important episode for us getting some of the foundational concepts off the ground. All right, enjoy. Hello there, Catherine. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. <clears throat> it was uh, This episode was an hour in the making as we work to reconfigure our audio and input Hooray, so fun. I love doing tech stuff like that. Yeah, it's really awesome. It's just been the best. Um, we're more like the nuts and bolts and type than the tech issue type, but I guess this makes us well-rounded to be able to figure this annoying shit out. True. But unlike our first episode, which uh, we realized our audio was only coming out of one of us out of each side, now hopefully... Our listeners at home and their headphones or at work could be hearing us out of both sides like they're supposed to. Let's hope. Let's hope. So now, um, without further ado, how was your day? It was good. It was kind of long, but also short at the same time. We didn't have a very long work day this morning. What'd you do at work today, handy ma'am? Well, this morning, you and I went to one of our clients' house and taped and mudded drywall for two hours in the freezing cold. It's a <clears throat> pantry that she built in her garage, and yeah, we've done the whole thing up to this point, doing the drywall and everything, and so taping and mudding, but it was like 40 degrees in there, which you're like definitely not supposed to use that product at that temperature, but... Say lovey. I think it'll be all right. So Seslavai, exactly. as you say. Is that what your grandma says? I don't know. I think that's a. I think that's my mom. Sounds like something they would say. Yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, so we could have stayed for another couple hours and done some more projects for her, but we were both kind of like no, and so we just left. And then it was a busy afternoon of like errands and projects at the house and stuff like that. Yeah, we painted the downstairs bedroom. Yeah. And ran some errands. House stuff, lots of work. Yeah. Work, work, work. Always. Until it's playtime. How was your day? 
When it was good, we uh, did some drywall where I'm a little <laughs> out of my element there doing that type of taping. I just but, imagined you repeating all the stuff that I just yeah, said. Yeah, because we were together <laughs> the majority of the day. Yeah. Until I painted the downstairs bedroom with Kills Mold Paint Primer. But anyway, now we're good because we're doing this. Kicking this off. Getting better already. So, I saw something the other day that I wanted to uh, ask you about. Okay. And... Yeah, so this is uh, an article put out by thedailybeast.com. Um, and I had to use my Google account for work to get through their paywall. I don't know if it's a paywall or whatever it is. It's a subscribe wall. They wanted my email. So the Daily Beast, which I hate that shit. I hate that I have to give all these people my email to get access to their platforms. At least I can use my work one and not my personal one. True. Here it is. This was uh, published by the Deputy Editor of Innovation and Tech on November 18th, 2022. So just the other day. Here's what it says. The White House admits it. We might need to block the sun to stop climate change. That's pretty uh, startling. Um, I'll read a little bit of this. It says, we're entering the final days of COP27, the UN's annual climate summit. And it's safe to say this year's edition was disappointing, to say the least. Um, people criticized the event for being sponsored by Coca-Cola, the world's leading plastic polluter. <laughs> so here it says, blah, blah, blah. What are we doing to fight climate change? Climate change, climate change. So on October 13th, says here, quote, on October 13th, the White House announced that it was funding a five-year research plan into one of the most controversial proposals for fighting climate change out there, geoengineering, or the technologies and innovations that can be used. It didn't say that. You just added that. No, it says it. I'm it reading says verbatim. Geoengineering it says it? geoengineering, and it's hyperlinked to something oh, wow. else. wow. Okay. Or the technologies and innovations that can be used to auto artificially modify the Earth's climate. It goes on, quote, the report will be dedicated specifically to a form of geoengineering known as solar radiation management. This is a technique that essentially involves spraying fine aerosols into the atmosphere to reflect sunlight away from the earth. The idea is that once it's reflected, there'll be less heat and temperatures will go down. Blah, blah, blah. It goes on to say now, you know, this is trying to see the viability of this program to manage near term climate risk. Uh... So this goes on to be like, look, everyone, there's an idea here, geoengineering, <laughs> trying to make it seem as if it's like fresh out of the box, you know? Um, and so now we have it, mainstream media talking about how the White House is admitting that we may need to block out the sun yeah what the fuck is up with that i don't know how much like i know you don't watch many of the marvel movies or comic books you know but <clears throat> this shit is straight out of like the evil villain mm -hmm. of the world yeah well i mean bill gates was talking about this years ago you know and so it's like makes sense that now it's being framed as a governmental thing because it's all isn't that always the way with the loveliest Bill Gates 
Um, but it's funny that you say that because then when I see his face in my head, he looks like an evil villain for sure. Because he has one. But I think this was mm-hmm. his, like... It's the sweaters, for He sure. was... Yeah, it is. They're so forced. Like, he's oh. like, look how friendly I am. Yeah. He's, he's trying to be like Mr. Rogers. Well, he was rebranded, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he. I think he was the beginning of, um, like, all of the media talk about blocking the sun. I think his voice was, like, the first to bring that to the to the stage. Yeah, and people were like, what the fuck is Bill Gates talking about? Is yeah. he a, like a, an, a even more of an obvious villain than we thought? Yeah. And now it's like uh, they're talking about it at the the UN climate models, you know? Yes, of course. Um, of course they are. It's all paid for by Gates himself. <laughs> honestly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so it's talking about like geoengineering as if it's just like la di da di da, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, most people, like, I don't know. It's really hard to get a read on what people know about, like, what the quote normies know about it. Because if you say geoengineering, sometimes people will look at you and be like, "You mean like chemtrails?" Yeah, I'll just answer for the normies, and most people don't know shit about geoengineering at all. Yeah. Most people, I think, hear the term chemtrails and they think. Uh, Oh, you also don't want fluoride in your water. Right. Where's your tinfoil hat? Right, and I know that's true about chem, like the words chemtrails. But as far as the word geoengineering goes, I just don't even think that that's like something in people's radar at all. Oh yeah, you no know, pun I don't. Yeah, it's it's yeah. not in like the modern lexicon. Yeah, yeah, I don't even think that that's a word that people would like recognize. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, on that note. Uh, I found a article a couple years ago from CNN, who we know is quite, I don't know, they're just on the left side. Um, you know, and if we quote Fox on here, I'll just say they're on the right side. But, you know, this article is uh, December 3rd, 2020. It's almost two years ago. It says, China to expand weather modification program to cover area larger than India. Um, it goes on to reveal this to say things it says talking about cloud seeding mm-hmm. and it says here as a concept cloud seeding has been around for decades it works by injecting small amounts of silver iodide into clouds with a lot of moisture which then condenses coming heavier and falling as precipitation um, between 2012 and 2017 china spent over 1.34 billion on various weather modification programs last year According to the state agency news, some name I'm not going to pronounce, weather modification helped reduce 70% of hail damage in China's western region, a key agricultural area. So people hear about things like chemtrails and whatnot and geoengineering. It sounds crazy. It just seems crazy that it just seems so obvious that um, there's a high chance that the climate is being manipulated for the purposes of climate policies by the same people. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense, if, especially if you're like in the world of, that we live in where you're willing to step back and take a look at it because every single thing that is like an agenda is so obviously that. The manipulation of the people at the lowest level 
in order to enact policy that will ultimately control those same people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but they expect me to just believe that if climate change is happening the way that they claim, we're all going to be like doomed, then they had no hand in it. They, The government is only here to offer us a solution with their infinite mm-hmm. generosity. Mm-hmm. But they had no, they were no way in charge of the problem. Yeah, which is crazy too because everybody knows like, it's just amazing the gaps that form in people's minds because like that just reminded me of uh, that uh, movie that they showed us in school that was like, man, what was that called? Where there was like the story of the woman whose son died from E. coli from a burger stand and like it was all about the, mm. it was all about like, you know what I'm, I'm talking about? I, I want to say it was called Food Inc. Oh. Is that right? Could that be right? Yeah. Anyway, so there was this movie and so we... I remember that, um, I remember in that movie, there was all this talk about how Monsanto is like in the pocket of all these government mm-hmm. people, right? And that's part of the problem with the regulations and all of this stuff, because the big corp- corporation, big ag, is in bed with governmental officials, basically. And um, and so like, that that is just straight up admittance that that's happening, you know? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to like, other things <laughs> it's just amazing the gap i mean even with big ag like people's brains don't necessarily compute all of the whole picture if you're not willing to step back and think about it on a larger scale like that it's actually done more on purpose than that yeah you know yeah and it's i mean that's a hard bridge to cross because like now i can look at these articles back to back and be like, wow, it's total, like, this is probably bullshit. Mm-hmm. They're causing all of this, or they're lying, or they're manipulating, it doesn't matter. And then you look at the food industry, and like you're saying, okay, then they're all in bed with each other. And then you look at the medical industry, and the pharma industry, and the military, and the wars, and the guns, and the like, every single person's in bed. But you can show people the food ink, and be like, did you know all our food is poisoned for profit? Mm-hmm. To keep us sick? So that we, for more profit, mm-hmm. and the people will be like, oh my God, I saw that documentary that's tragic. And then the same day, you'd be like, did you know that those same people are polluting this other thing? And they would be like, oh, I can't believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, those are just conspiracy theories or whatever. Well, it's just like the, what's that one, Dope Sick or whatever? Yeah. The, the oh, yeah, same it's thing. It's like so where hot it's like, right now, actually. It's so popular, and it's a whole show about how pharma is like damaging the human population in general. Like there's so many movies about pharma Mm -hmm. being horrible. And then the commercial is for vaccines. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like that connection. Yeah. So, you know, if we're talking about, I mean, I think that's like what creates cognitive dissonance though. Like that's Mm -hmm. the creation of it. And that's why, that's why television programming is so valuable because I think that that is like, it solidifies that Mm -hmm. in somebody's brain. Oh, wow. So providing, I hadn't, I never thought about it like that actually. So, those putting those two opposing ideas right next to each other mm-hmm. it's just like telling the quiet part out loud or what how they say it it's like saying the quiet part out loud or it's just like being so obvious that you can't even see it you know unless you step out of it yeah it's part of the the mind control mm-hmm. that's crazy i can't believe i never made that connection well how yeah like why would you I mean, yeah, it's been, you know. <laughs> Why would anybody, you know? I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, yeah, so fascinating. 
Yeah. So speaking of the the mind control that has us able to watch dope sick about how pharma is killing people for money and then watch a commercial that says go to CVS and get your vaccine and not have stand up and like throw your TV out the window at the it's really quite offensive not only what they do to you if you listen to them but the fact that they think we're so fucking stupid yeah it's like mocking us it's like very insulting i know um it really plays to the idea of people being mind controlled and you know sheep and so like i just realized that that aspect of that component right now um and so one of the major places where people have this sort of where are you taught to think in modern western culture school in fucking school and really university kind of gives us that authority to toss what we think around you know i feel like in at home in high school and stuff i don't know about you but i was like well, I didn't really feel like I learned very much. I yeah. just was doing my thing. But in college, really, you know, you have that. Uh, it really gives you kind of that. I'll speak in I statements. It gave me that feeling like I had authority. Like, look at me. I'm, I'm, I know things. I went to a university. I was educated by people on podiums in a big room. Well, you're getting the most modern information available. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big part of it, too, I think. Where it's like... <laughs> My information's been updated since you were in college, Mom. It's like, there's mm-hmm. that aspect as well. Yeah, and even nowadays, at the speed of science, to speak in the, their terms, uh, I, someone who graduates this year could have more updated knowledge than somebody who graduated last year. Mm-hmm. It's like, a, it's uh, just continues to outsmart itself. But, um, so... On that note of education, real quick, I have a quote here by Vladimir Lenin, and this was put onto me by Mark Passio at whatonearthishappening.com. So I don't know if Vladimir Lenin said this. You know, I didn't hear him say it, but uh, it said, Give me four years to teach the children, and the seed I have sown will never be uprooted. Um, higher education, everybody. Higher education. And so <laughs> here we are. Yes. And we both have degrees. We both have higher education. We both have higher education. And we actually, even though we didn't go to school together, we have the same degree almost. Yeah. My degree is from the University of Colorado Boulder. And the long name is uh, Bachelor's of Arts in Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. (whistles) What's your degree in? I have a Bachelor of Science in Biology. And then unofficially, I focused in conservation science and ecology. Okay, so. But I went to a liberal arts school, so we didn't have, like, you couldn't put the title ecology on your mm. on your degree. I went to Hollins University in Roanoke, Virginia. Hmm. So you studied environmental conservation? Yes, I did. And botany? Yeah. At a major Western university? Well, it's or at a, at a, okay at a small whatever. at a small liberal arts university, okay, yeah. but accredited and yeah yeah and now whatever that means. <laughs> uh, what do you think? You know, okay. Let me rephrase this. How long ago did you graduate? How many years ago? 
Five years. Okay. So, five years since college. Yeah. That has to be longer than that. I guess that's right. 2017. Do you think, do, do the ideals that they taught you still stand in your mind? Not even a little bit. So, you went and found money for a college degree in conservation. And now the world and the media and the news and everybody will shut the fuck up about climate change. And you, who's supposed to be... The most indoctrinated of us all. You should be a soldier for climate policies. And I, boy, howdy, I almost was. And so, (laughs) um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? How, you know, if you went to your reunion, they would shun you and uh, you would be canceled from your Twitter if they knew what you believe now. Yeah, as a funny side note, we had a reunion... This year, five year, and um, I wasn't invited anyway because of the shot. <laughs> um, anyway, yes, so... And isn't it an inclusive university? Yeah, allegedly. They're so inclusive, in fact, side note, that they recently accommodated as an all-women's university. You want to tell it? Yeah, as an all-women's university um, of like 400 undergrad. It's a really small, small, small liberal arts female-only university they had a student come out as transgender, male, and they kicked him out of school. Him, right? They kicked this him out of school um, because they were like, this is an all-female university. You can't be here anymore. And then the student population was so upset, or at least the loudest part of the student population was so upset that the university officials invited this person back onto campus, even though they were, like, identifying as a male it was insane. There's plenty of news coverage out there on it if you're interested mm. in checking it out. But yeah, so yeah. Yikes. your university was just so progressive. It includes self-identified men in their all-female. Yes, disgusting. Like cohort, <laughs> except if you decide for yourself how to make medical decisions, you're not included. Yeah. Uh, I guess. Which becoming like. identifying as a trans male person is a medical decision. Yeah, that's true. But anyway, we're getting sidetracked. Um, Okay, yeah. Um, So I started my college journey in community college, and then I went to a, like, 60,000-student university um, right outside of D.C. for a year. And I was kind of miserable there, so I ended up transferring to this small um, school that we were just talking about. And... I had decided at the first university that I was going to be majoring in biology and I always wanted to study like ethnobotany. So the relationship between people and plants, be that medicinal or cultural significance of different plants, um, all these different things really interested me. And at a larger university, the one that I started at, I wasn't really going to be able to be that specific But at the smaller university that I transferred to, even though it was a small liberal arts school and I couldn't put the the words on my degree that said like ethnobotany concentration, um, I could tailor my classwork to be more in line with those values. So I did actually get to take an ethnobotany class. Um, So there were those things offered and I got to kind of start my journey of going down a more like specified course route that the small school had to offer. Um, and then I started to learn 
I started to participate in classes like ecology and um, some of these other like broad range subjects within the field of biology. And then I started to get introduced to conservation science. Um, And my junior year, the spring of my junior year, In 2016, I was able to travel abroad to South America and study in Peru for four and a half months in the Amazon jungle. Wow. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) thank you. Um, That's where we met. That's where we met. That's why she's laughing. Um, And, yeah, so I was able to study down there. I spent four and a half months from, like, the cloud forest regions of the Andes, um, the high alpine regions all the way down to to some really deep parts of the jungle where roads didn't even go. You had to take boats. It was amazing. Um, I learned a lot about, like, illegal gold mining. I learned a lot about illegal, like, lumber um, stealing. I forget what it's called. Right now I'm blanking on that word, but... Poaching, I think, is animals, right? Yeah, but it it works. Everybody gets what we're talking about, I guess. Um, And I even got to learn from, like the local indigenous communities about some plant medicines and stuff, which was like my MO at the time. I was really fascinated by that stuff. But more than anything, I started to really learn about climate change. Um, We went and visited an indigenous community in Cusco and um, Parque de las Papas, and they had like hundreds and hundreds of species of potatoes Hmm. and um we learned about how there's like all these potatoes are are every year there's what's called like upward slope migration where if you have a certain species of potato that's growing at like three thousand feet and then the next year it doesn't propagate there it only grows at 3500 feet So all of these things are moving. All of these plants are slowly migrating up the mountainside um, because the weather is changing to be warmer and those plants can't propagate and thrive where they were before. And so they're moving up the slope. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so that was like, that story was a really, really big part of the beginning of my like dive down into climate change, conservation studies, that was when I decided to kind of shift my focus in university and really only focus on conservation instead of ethnobotany stuff. Hmm. Um, I remember being in Peru and listening to all these stories of different scientists and, and people who had gone down to, like, educate the communities down there who had been killed and all of this and... I was like, man, I'm going to be one of those people who comes down here and I'm not going to get killed and I'm going to like teach people and like be a part of the change, you know, and I got yeah. I got super 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 fired up by it. Um and so yeah, when I came back from that trip, I I basically focused my last like 3, I think I had I guess I only had two more semesters after that. So those were just focused on finishing my degree and taking the science classes that I could that supported the conservation climate change agenda. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's funny you bring up the, uh, going up the mountainside. What'd you say that was called? Oh, migration. Um, upward slope migration. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, when I was in school, I did an eight, a two semester, like an eight month internship studying grasshoppers. And, um, 
you reminded me saying that, that I studied something similar because I would, um, we would collect these grasshopper egg pots. Basically the grasshoppers would like lay eggs into like this clump and then I would like sand and I would bring these thing out and I would shake the sand off of this thing that's like the size of the top of a sharpened pencil and there would be eggs in there, like maybe half a dozen and I would weigh them and count them. It was like the most like meticulous work I've ever done. Anyway, it was measuring that thing, same thing. We were considering what the differences were because the professor did it like every year and he was like watching how they changed up the mountain. So um, probably for global warming and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so another university all the way across the country studying, focusing their efforts on these similar... Um, Makes sense. It makes sense. So, but when you talk about conservation and these people growing their papas, like I want them to have, I don't want their papas to be all fucked up. Like I don't want them to have to change how the way they've been doing <laughs> things to go up the mountain. Like no, and conservation. I, it seems yeah. like conservation of the planet is super important. Yes, and illegal gold mining and illegal like stealing of lumber is bad. Yeah, that's like complicated, but like you know, there's. Maybe bad is a strong word, but there's a lot of neg negative stuff going on yeah, around yeah. that, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that for me, one of the biggest things that I came to understand is that there are things happening that are changing our climate. They just are most likely not related to what they are framed to be related to in university. So instead of being like human caused by the everyday person type of climate change, my carbon footprint, my, you know, how much I use my vehicle or whatever, um, it's more to do with bigger picture um, things like maybe geoengineering, like we were talking about a little while ago, um, and the, the chemicals that are being sprayed into our atmosphere. Um, which makes a hell of a lot more sense, I think. Um, and so, yeah, I want those people to be having their papas too. But, um, but yeah, the impacts of the geoengineering are, are affecting every corner of the whole world. And it's just not, there's no blame on, there's no reason to blame the everyday person. It doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. But that's where they put the blame. Yeah. And they come down top down to try to fix it. Yeah. Pretending that it's bottom up like we want it. Yeah. Which was an idea presented to me by a woman named Rosa Quarry. So we were in our house. When was the first greater reset? Do you know what the dates were? Sure do. It was 20 Was it 2020? No. It was it had to be January it looks like 2021. January 25th, 2021. Yeah, so early 2021, Paul and I are at our house in beautiful Port Angeles, Washington, where we used to live. And we had gotten kind of tapped into this community, um, the Freedom Cell Network. I think we talked about this a little bit last time. but um, And they were doing this big event called the Greater Reset, which is a whole thing that we could get into explaining, I guess. But anyway, we uh, decided to participate in this event. And the first person who spoke at the event um completely unwound for me all of my 
indoctrination from college about climate change in like 30 minutes. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, whoa, she like completely blew my mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get into that in a second, but your work in conservation extended past school. Cause most people, they just go to school and then they go to the coffee shop and then they go to the bar and then they go to school and they just do that. And then for most, maybe get a little internship like I did. But so you actually went to Peru for months mm-hmm. and went in places where like you can't get to in cars where you only take boats and stuff. Um, and you spent months down there studying and participating in, with locals. But then you also went to the Caribbean. That's correct. And you did more conservation work. Yes, I sure did. What was that all about? Um, the year I graduated, 2017, um, my school had um, these condensed semesters. So most schools do like... 16-week semesters for fall and spring, but my school did 10-week semesters, uh, which was a huge pain in the ass. And it meant that we didn't need to be in school for as long. So we had a J term during January. It was like a a three-and-a-half-week term, and they encouraged you to go outside of your... um, outside of your degree, take a fun class, take an art class, do whatever. Um, But my department... Don't pay us for shit that you don't need. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. My um, department at the school did a trip to St. John in the U.S. Virgin Islands for that J term. And we weren't there the whole time. We were there for like 14 days, I think. So for the first like week, for the first week, maybe we, I don't remember exactly how it was structured. But anyway, we prepared for the trip and then we went for like 14 days and then we came back and, and kind of analyzed some of our data and stuff. And the whole fall semester prior to that trip, we had to take like weekly tests and memorize like literally hundreds of species of fish and stuff on, on, it was insane. I mean, it was, it was so much work. It was really cool. But I mean, that part was cool too, because when we finally got there and you like put your head under the water, you look around and you're like, I can identify every single one of these fish. Like I know what all of these are. Um, and all the coral and Mm -hmm. everything, all the plants under there. It was so cool. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I did that. And then we had our spring semester. And then I was invited back as a research assistant for a friend of mine who was doing her thesis in St. John. And so it was a couple people from the same team that went for the January term. Um, but it was only like four of us. And we went back in July, right after I graduated from college. Um, the first time I was there in January, we were studying an invasive seagrass um, that was like taking over mm-hmm. and out competing with all the native seagrasses and causing like all these different problems. Like this invasive seagrass came over from the Mediterranean, they think in ballast water in the bottom of the boat mm-hmm. and was planted via that mm-hmm. and has been like overtaking all of the native grass beds under the on the mm-hmm. ocean floor. And it's not nearly as nutrient-dense for things like sea turtles and other critters. Um, And so it's posing this, like, really big problem of making the whole system out of whack Mm because a lot of the animals aren't getting what they need. And then the second time we went down there, I was doing research um, in support of my friend's thesis on elkhorn coral. So just a specific kind of coral. And we were studying... I don't even remember at this point because it was such a brutal yeah, trip. That's all right. Um, <laughs> well, thanks for sharing some of that. The was did you see the effects of climate change while you were down there? Like, was that part of why 
that species was so successful? I'm sure the boat ships from the Mediterranean were going down there for everywhere. Like, was it, was that ever painted with the climate change brush as well or not, not really? Not that I can remember. I think it's just like, um, it's just like a really smart invasive mm-hmm. species. Yeah, um, that makes sense. When when I was in when I did wild and fire for a while, you have to you drive your vehicles all around the country, and some fires you go to before you leave the fire, you go to the uh, the I forget what's even called now, but the basically go to the wash station, and your truck drives up, and you've been basically you've been running around the woods for two or three weeks in your rig, and before you drive back home to whatever state you're from, because the fire is probably not even in your region. Uh, they spray your whole vehicle off before you drive away so that you don't carry any of the invasive species across the country. Hmm. Um, and you can actually make a lot of money with like a pressure washer and a tent. Really? So you get a contract to do that because you just spray people's trucks all day. And of course, it's the government, so they pay hella. But um, hmm. yeah, and so I don't know what measures like ships would take to uh, prevent ballast. Ballast water. Ballast water, yeah. yeah. Yeah, from what I understand, that's like the water that's held in the bottom of the ship to make hmm. it stay level hmm. and so then when they get to wherever they're going they dump it out and mm. replenish it yeah. or something shit i should know i mm. should know too I'm, yeah I'm, you're a knife man i know uh, it's hard to remember all this stuff um <laughs> it's true okay so i i asked you that and i bring it all up because um most people just most of us just read headlines and go to college and understand that climate change is bad and you know, if your uncle's a climate change denier, then he probably voted for Trump or he's a bad person. Um, he's definitely a Republican for sure. And, but that's not really how you see it anymore. No. No, I mean, yeah, I guess I... Or maybe not that you ever saw it like that. But no. that was how it was supposed to... That's what I, how I was supposed narrative. to see it. Yeah, I mean, I don't... Yeah, I think you're right. I never really saw it that way. And also, like, I... I do think that my history makes me like the most prime candidate for being the like climate justice warrior. Why? What about you? At first I thought you meant your background. We talked about episode one, but no, you mean like, I mean like my collegiate, you, I should be oh, the oh, one yeah. fighting. Yeah. What? This, I do get it. I said climate justice warrior. So social. Justice oh, I didn't get it. That was really joke. hilarious. We'll have to go back and edit it in where I laugh. Cause it's really funny. Um, um, but no, I bet you, yeah, the CJWs for sure. Yeah. Um, I should be, I think the one like hailing Greta Thunberg and stuff, you know? Yeah. Not like Greta throwing Thunberg. hail at her. Like <laughs> <laughs> you got lots of jokes today. I do. Um, I don't think they've ever hailing. It's like stoning maybe. Um, but Greta Thunberg is mentally disabled, I know. so you can't talk bad about her. Oh, but you yeah. can give her a platform to influence the world, even though she has literal mental illnesses that make her neurotic and focus on things. That's true. To an unhealthy degree, but we trust her. <laughs> anyway, okay. So you brought up Rosa Quarry and her talk. R.I.P. At the Greater Reset, yeah. Um, so. To give a little context for this, I think it's important that we talk about climate change right away on our show as it's new because even though this topic isn't the most near and dear to my heart, I think that it is a great way to introduce the major players and the overarching themes 
that we will be covering as we continue to unfold a lot of this stuff. Do you agree? I do agree. Okay. Um, so what does that mean? So that means that, well, we can turn on the TV and talk about climate change. We can talk about how California is like, you know, trying to get rid of all electric cars by like whatever it is, 2030 probably. And um, even Virginia, I think, has a less uh, fuel-powered vehicle goal. And you can look all around and people have like, there's the zero carbon um, thing. Well, the push just even just simply the push for hybrid vehicles. Like mm-hmm. that has been an unbelievable mm-hmm. push. Yeah. So we can see, you know, whether or not you turn on the fear-mongering mainstream news you can tell all around you in life that there's like this oh i should change my life because the planet and thus future generations are in danger Mm -hmm. of whatever that means rising sea levels or i don't know getting too hot or whatever Uh, (laughs) um my favorite was the that um covid was because of climate change because Mother oh, Nature's yeah. mad at us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> some good ones. We do have a great George Carlin thing we could play at some point if we wanted. It's another nine minutes, but uh, maybe at the end to wrap us, just wrap it up. But so we can look around and say, okay, you know, the globalists, the people in charge of the world governments that influence our prime ministers and our presidents. They have a great interest in always talking about climate change so that we can change our habits and our spending and our lifestyle, right? I mean, and I think even for the average person, that's pretty obvious. Like, Yes, and if you have no context for like world government, I, the idea of world governments, yeah, then it can be really difficult. I guess so. Maybe there's some people that just think all the hybrid cars is like, well, I think it's a little better for the environment, and it's quiet, and I want to say I get good gas mileage, but you don't get gas mileage. Um, uh, at least not there. Maybe it comes from where it comes from before that. But um, what were, but what, what, how do I say this? The reason that climate change is such an important topic for our show is because it is being provided as the reason, one of the main reasons to implement incredible um, agendas of control over the population that removes our liberties. That are way farther reaching than makes sense, even if the climate change that they are proposing is real. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know, I read this uh, part of this book recently called The Revivalist Manifesto by Scott McKay, who runs Reviver.com, R-V-I-V-R.com. Um, And he said that there's like four simple questions that the climate policymakers need to answer before anything gets done, you know, and I'm going to mess them up a little bit. But one of them is like, okay, prove that it's happening, prove that it's happening because of us. Show us in detail that the models for the changes you want us to make are actually going to save the planet. And then the fourth thing Prove that it's going to make a difference at all if the most heavy pollution, the most heavy polluters in the world, like China and India, are not on board. 
And so they want us to change our lives to this degree to save the planet, but they can't prove that what we're going to do is even going to work. Make a difference, yeah. Especially when they're not asking the heaviest, scariest countries in the world to participate. You know what I was taught in college is a like clever response when people said that hmm. would be to say like, "What's the worst that could happen? We're going to make the planet better." Hmm. Which I remember saying mm. to my dad. Oh, wow, well, yeah. Ugh, you know? And I just remember he looked at me like, oh my God, I raised a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, that was like the argument. But, yeah. and I just wanted to say too that I had a caveat for one of those questions of like proof that it is actually even happening. Like what we've learned in the past couple of years is like, I would say prove that it's happening with sources that aren't paid for by the people who will benefit Mm -hmm. and make it more specifically Mm -hmm. that provide those sources to prove it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Are you, is everything bought and paid for? And so, you know, okay, what's the worst that could have make the planet better? It's like, well, maybe I, maybe that was an argument, but now I would be like, no, the worst that could happen is that I don't get to fly to see my family because my carbon footprint tracker is too high. I don't have enough social credit yeah. to buy gas because I didn't get a Tesla. Right. I drive a Jeep Liberty. Yeah, exactly. Like the worst that could happen is the worst thing you can imagine, basically. It's like complete control, not no mm-hmm. ability to leave your little apartment in your smart city. Mm-hmm. Like that's the worst that could happen. They you come know? and take your chickens away from your backyard because they are polluting too much with their farts. Well, even in, yeah, exactly. Even in, like, California, they're, like, monitoring people's thermostats already. There's, like, in other, I don't remember what state it's in, but they're, like, monitoring your well usage. And, mm, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, we saw that. These, they want to tap... They want to put a meter on your well. Yeah, on your private well. So the, yeah. these measures are already coming into play. Um, and, yeah, the worst that can happen is way worse. Than anybody yeah. ever thought it could be. That than I thought that it could have. Yeah, been. yeah, it's true. Um, and so you know, for the sake of the whole experience, who who are these people? What what are we talking about when we talk about like the globalists or the people in charge of world governments? Um, and so I'm gonna go over some stuff here. Yeah, okay? let's do it. So the UN, right? The United Nations. Uh, Gotta love them, am I right? Gotta love them. So, (laughs) here they go. United Nations. Peace, dignity, and equality on a healthy planet. So the UN is an organization that brings together countries that are on board that want to increase the quality of life overall for the planet and all the people of the planet that's what they say they're doing it says one place where the world nations can get together discuss common problems and find shared solutions oh so the you know the un was founded in 1945 (laughs) you know i believe that um i learned on the whose body is it podcast that isabella melvin the un was given its headquarters in like manhattan by one of the rockefellers right back in the day um and so the UN, it says here on UN.org, the UN has evolved over the years to keep pace with a rapidly changing world. One thing has stayed 
One thing has stayed the same. It remains the one place on earth where all the world's nations can gather together, discuss common problems, and find shared solutions that benefit all of humanity. So, just in general, you know, we could look up all the countries that are involved in the, in the United Nations, but I'm not going to do that. Find shared solutions that benefit all of humanity. If people across the world think that for the greater good, everyone in the UN needs to make changes, they can do this. And this is the unelected cabal of globalist oligarchs, as they say, unelected, meaning we don't vote for these motherfuckers and the partners they have. The cabal, which is like, used to be like a conspiracy term of like a handful of people that run the world, um, globalists, right? They're, they run the world in the oligarchs. They are money. They money. They literally are money. They are money. <laughs> they is money. Like the, the people with like Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk, like we don't vote for these assholes. They're just in our lives everywhere we look. Changing policies and greasing palms. Um, and so the thing about the UN and the, is that they have this program called Sustainable Development Goals. The 17 goals. And they this is part of the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. And so what this means is that by 2030, the year, they want the world to be headed in a much different direction than we're headed in now, okay? And some of these 17 things include no poverty, zero hunger, good health and well-being, quality education, gender equality, clean water and sanitation, affordable and clean energy, uh, decent work, industry innovation, reduced inequalities, sustainable cities, responsible consumption, climate action, life below water, life on land, peace and justice, and partnerships. Sounds great. It sounds great. I mean, ideally, yeah, that would be cool to like end hunger and have no poverty, no poverty and have no gender it. equality and make sure that your neighbors are responsibly consuming. Um, that one's weird no matter what lens you look at it in. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, and so that is that initiative, which is the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development, is paired with this other agenda that is called the Great Reset. And if you haven't heard about the Great Reset by now, hopefully after you hear us, this introduction, you will start learning, you will start hearing it more and more because what used to be like, you know, in the whispers is now becoming, I mean, people are talking about it all, all over. And so the Great Reset is an agenda put on by an organization called the World Economic Forum. And the World Economic Forum is headed up by a guy named Klaus Schwab, Ugh. who's like straight up a supervillain. <laughs> a supervillain. He is horrible. Okay, um, he is one of these unelected oligarchs. He, they have this organization, which is probably like a nonprofit in a hilarious way, and then they can give them the World Economic Forum. Yeah, I don't I'm pretty know. sure it is. Oh well, then they can, it's just so funny. Um, and so they know. probably have all kinds of like tax write-offs and stuff. Um, but the Great Reset is an initiative that uses the COVID-19 crisis as a way 
to reshape the world. Okay. The head of it, Klaus Schwab, even wrote a book about it yeah. called COVID-19, The Great Reset. Yep. Um, so if you're interested in learning more, I that know. might be an interesting place to start. I haven't read it, but I need to. I've been listening about this stuff forever. Um, so The Great Reset uh, represents to them a unique window of opportunity to shape the recovery of the planet. Um, it says here, quote, the initiative will offer insights to help inform those determining the future state of global relations, the direction of national economies, the priorities of societies, the nature of business models, and the management of global commons. This is right off of weforum.org slash the great tech reset. Drawing from the vision and vast expertise of the leaders engaged across the forum's communities, the Great Reset Initiative has a set of dimensions to build a new social contract that honors the dignity of every human being. That was pretty wordy. But what I'm what it's saying here is that it has leaders engaged across the communities, right? Meaning they have a, they have a subset of their organization called the Young Global Leaders. And people like Justin Trudeau and even the new prime minister of England, I don't know his name, Richie something. But um, these people have been... And then Macron in France, and then what's-her-name down in New Zealand. Um, they are buddies with Klaus Schwab. They attend all the events at the World Economic Forum. They are basically being groomed by these globalists to go to the heads of their countries. They, they represent the heads of their countries to bring in these top-down approaches that increase the state of government, and the responsibility that the government has over its citizens. And that is, of course, like inversely proportional to the liberties that we have as individuals. Yeah, my understanding is that they're like the young globalist leaders program is like an actual program where they go and do these conferences and mm -hmm. learn how to be little bots for the WEF, right? And then they go yeah. back to their countries and implement all of these things with top-down control, like you just said. Um, yeah, really, really, really obvious when you look at it like that. Yeah, so like Klaus Schwab could be like, everybody needs a vaccine. I can't do his accent, but he's like, all of your citizens need vaccines. You can't move freely without one. How are we supposed to keep everybody safe? And then all the, people, all the prime ministers go, Aye, aye, Captain. And they go back to their countries and they're like, I'm sorry that you're you're going to lose your jobs and that these things don't even really work and everything's getting destroyed because we're implementing them. You have to do it. It's for the greater good. How else are we supposed to homogenize with the rest of the world if we don't do the same thing that New Zealand's doing, that Austria is doing, that, um, that Germany? And it's just... Well, what's interesting, too, is that this is happening at not only at these like giant levels like Trudeau, um, the... Klaus trained, the World Economic Forum trained people are being put in positions of power at local and state government levels as well. And so we could say that it's only happening on these big orchestrated planes, but that's not true. Um, it, it may even be in your, in your city that you currently reside. Um, yeah, I heard something recently. I don't remember it in my high school. People are saying even in high school, they have like local local UN or whatever and you yeah. can have like a club at your high school it's like how are we going to save the world mm -hmm. um and it sounds nice on the surface like i you know i don't think people should be hungry that's sad um but what 
is it's what are we supposed to do like nobody's hungry in jail you know what i mean yeah they all get fed but like what do they have to do to to manage those kinds of ideals um well okay so then what so then the question is what do they really mean right by all of these things what does it really mean to eradicate hunger or poverty or gender equality or climate change or climate change so what do these things really mean that's what's next that's what's next thanks for that transition there my wife um what i said it's my pleasure yeah uh it's your duty to cut me (laughs) off um so that that agenda as we've said over and over and over is called the great reset well this event that's now coming up on its fourth year or third year is called the greater reset and it is put on by some people that we have met and that we follow on social media that are anti-establishment people they see this agenda that you can go on these websites i mentioned and look up on these nonprofits that run the world it's not a secret it's i don't know it's, if it's a nonprofit. okay well you can go up to these well i think dot org i think that's what dot org means oh, okay. as opposed to dot com but you can go on their websites and read all that stuff we're just describing and so these communities that we're a part of and these people that we follow they're like fuck that we're gonna make a greater reset and it basically goes in the the direction where you still can aim for no poverty and no hunger, but you don't need the government to help you, the world governments to help you. And and to learn about what these other people are actually doing, what the UN and World Economic Forum are after the Greater Reset, which is the event that we attend um, that we're going to talk about, is in part, largely, to understand what's going on and to find solutions against that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And now that we have the background, we'll pass it off to Rosa Quarry for a few minutes here. Hey, thanks a lot, John. And I want to say hi to everybody. I'm I'm so pleased to have been invited to participate in this. um, Well, let's just say it. This is an historic conference. This is the confluence of iconoclastic thinkers and creators of the greater reset. Because, you know, in this time of stress and anger and fear and separation and limitation, we need to break out of the paralysis and the panic that's imposed on us and break into a set of positive, workable solutions that could bring us closer together in respect and love. So I know that's what we're all excited to be participating in today. It's the declaration of taking back control of our life's direction. So as John said, my role today is to set the stage for the greater reset by looking at the World Economic Forum's great reset the fourth uh, industrial revolution, the UN Agenda 2030, and of course the larger plan within which all of this revolves, which is United Nations Agenda 21, Sustainable Development. We can agree that we're witnessing the great purge. It's the great concentration of wealth and power, the great reveal of willing dictators, the great reallocation of resources, the great digital revolution of the surveillance state. This is the agenda for the 21st century and beyond. It's the great rehash of the old plan. So I'm gonna start there. Um, 
UN Agenda 21, Sustainable Development, is the comprehensive blueprint. It's the action plan, as the UN calls it, to inventory and control all land, water, minerals, plants, animals, construction, means of production, energy, education, transportation, information, and all human beings in the world. It's an inventory and control plan. This is the agenda for the 21st century. It's a blueprint for 100 years. And there are milestones at 2020, 2030, 2035, and 2050. Agenda 2030 is just a milestone within the main 100-year plan. So Agenda 21 Sustainable Development is the global plan for inventory and control. It encompasses every aspect of your life. And it's intended to be a wrenching transformation of your life. That's what Senator Al Gore called it when he, um, when he took the United States uh, sort of group to the largest gathering of heads of state and national representatives that had ever been convened up to that time. That was in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil in 1992 for the Agenda 21 conference. Representatives of 178 nations plus the Vatican agreed to this action plan. So yeah, I know you're gonna see on Wikipedia that it says it's a non-binding voluntary agreement, uh, except Agenda 21 is binding on you. It's been written into the laws of your countries, um, all the way from China, all Western and Middle Eastern nations, all over the world, through a collaboration of government, corporations, and organizations, and foundations. It's a global plan, but it's not an international plan. International means between nations. But this plan erases nations. It's global. It's a global plan that's implemented locally. So it has a different name everywhere, but it's the same plan. Every aspect of your life is affected. So it's in your school curricula. It's in your planning and building department. It's in your court system, in your healthcare system. It's everywhere. But they never call it Agenda 21. You're going to see it as regional plans often that are called Plan Bay Area or Four States, One Vision, or Mexico 2030, or Hanoi 2030, or Horizon 2050 in Canada, for example. They're all the same plan. They elevate major economic power centers to a supra-governmental status, that is outside of and above the traditional representative government model. These are the mega regions. They drive the economy and they overpower the nation state. They combine parts of cities, of states. They even combine pieces of nations together. They destroy boundaries and they ignore legal jurisdictions by creating new economic princedoms. These are new fiefdoms. It's not government, it's governance. Governance, it's a system made up of public sector agencies, nonprofits, business organizations, advocacy groups, foundations, and corporations. What do they have in common? You don't vote for any of that. The larger the entity, the further away it is from you, the less power you have. You get literally taken out of the picture. This is the new global state 
in which you are a global citizen. Okay, so the new state is the means by which you have to serve others for the common good, and that's defined by the state. It's supposedly from the bottom up. It's something you want. But really, it's an end run against your, around your sovereignty. It's, your sovereignty is eroded piece by piece. So, you know, the question is, what is the Agenda 21 plan? When you see it in public, in the public, it's primarily a land use plan. It's the rallying cry, you know, for sustainable development. What do they say? That we're killing the planet with our CO2 emissions. So the plan is designed to corral populations into what the UN calls islands of human habitation, human settlements. Of course, once you're in that concentrated island of human habitation, formerly called a city, you're more easily managed, controlled, and surveilled. It might be a city like the one that Sidewalk Labs, a subsidiary of Google's parent company, Alphabet, a city like they had planned for the area, an area of Toronto. That city was to have had sensors embedded everywhere, literally, and the residents would have their services restricted unless they exposed every aspect of their lives digitally. If, for example, as a resident, you refused to have your data linked to your identity, you would have less rights than others. This is a smart city. It's a city where I believe virtual and augmented reality will replace real life and actually be more, more appealing. Ultimately, people may spend their entire lives living virtually, and those lives are going to be short. So what's the justification for this dystopia? The story is that your greenhouse gas emissions will be reduced by consolidating populations into these dense city centers where energy and water usage can be limited. This is going to get you out of the rural areas where you can basically do what you want, raise your livestock, uh, grow food with water from your well, drive your farm truck and own a firearm. But uh, in order to implement Agenda 21, your country, state, county, parish, canton, city, whatever, is imposing this land use plan locally. Because think about this. Where you live has a lot to do with how you live and what your life will be. So your old life has to be transformed. Transform, that's code for destroyed and rebuilt. That's the new normal. This includes both what they call the built environment and the way that you use that physical space. Your beliefs and your expectations have to be transformed and rebuilt as well. Your energy use, water use, food consumption, social structure, work, health, and your life expectancy views, all of that has to be transformed. And much of that is determined in that regional plan that you've got right there where you live. I suggest you check it out. So how do they destroy your rights? You don't vote for it. You do pay for it, though. Uh, that regional plan gets paid for with federal and state grants that pay for consultants who basically contract to push this through the community. And the few concerned citizens who show up to the visioning meetings and the charrettes, as they call them, to object, the consultants are there to block opposition. They're basically there to indoctrinate the public. The consultants are trained change agents and organizational managers. They're there to give the impression 
that they've listened to the public and the public approves the plan. It's all an act. I think you're going to agree that this is a real big deal. It's a tough sell and a huge management problem, even with the deception and the, coll and the collusion of the corporate media. I should say the partnership, the ownership. It's not easy to destroy nearly 500 years of the nation state. So it has to be done incrementally using all of the power and influence of government, corporations, and organizations, including all tech, entertainment, media, and education. This is a media mega corporate plan, a totally mega corporate plan. It's a joint partnership. It's a public-private partnership between government, the world's largest corporations, banking conglomerates, the big money foundations like the Ford and Rockefeller Foundations, groups like the World Wildlife Fund and the National Religious Partnership for the Environment. It's a closed circle. It only includes you when you agree with their plan. Of course, that's what's meant by getting the approval of the community. The community is anyone who agrees with the plan. If you don't agree, you're not the community. Dissent is not permitted. These major foundations, they give grants to thousands of startup organizations. They train and they fund spin-off groups like, that look like benevolent nonprofits and neighborhood associations. This whole system, it acts as the lower bureaucracy for the new system. And, you know, this is, this is basically an ultimate enemy, the ultimate enemy of the individual. So to make Agenda 21 happen, it requires the full integration of systems in order to control them centrally. That's the standardization of all systems. And the new currency is information and energy. In order to have centralized control, full globalization, it's necessary to standardize all law, all education, all culture, all finance. In order to merge, it has to be standardized. So yeah, this was impossible until the advent of the computer age. Now it's inevitable. This is why every school child is given a computer and the internet is now in tiny villages in every nation. Your educational system is used to manipulate you into thinking of yourself as a global citizen. Yeah, I hope you don't because a global citizen is not a citizen at all and has no rights. Under UN Agenda 21 Sustainable Development, What's termed a right is really a privilege, and it can be taken away or granted at any time. Of course, conversely, punishment can be imposed without redress. So this explains how the UN can call universal internet connectivity a human right. During COVID, UNICEF, the UN Children's Educational Fund, they created a project called GIGA. And the goal is to get every school in the world to do online classes. And the term for this is direct instruction. Nothing comes between the child and the computer. It makes standardized indoctrination really easy. And of course, you all know that as a startup, Google was funded by the intelligence community in order to spy on people who searched specific topics on the internet. So uh, then they could identify those people. Basically, it turns the tables on us and exposes us to surveillance. Now billions of people voluntarily carry a surveillance device at all times. 
when you hear the term smart, whether it's a smartphone or a smart car or smart, smart home or whatever, this is an acronym, S-M-A-R-T, sustainability, monitoring, assessing, rating, and tracking you. GIGA, the Children's Universal Connectivity Project, has digitalized more during 10 weeks of COVID than in the last 10 years. For this, they need 5G. And for that, they need decentralized energy projection. That enables digitalized experimentation and spying on large populations without their consent or knowledge. Sort of a digital colonization. Mega corporations are out there. They're searching for people who add value, who are innovators. Corporations want to own innovation. Not everybody has value in this system, this new system. Most of you don't. Most likely, you're worth less than your student loan. Your value, your social credit score, is based on whether you produce more than you consume and whether you serve or obstruct the state. Government has overcome our constitutional rights by merging with private corporations who can operate without restraint in secret, punishing, purging, and disappearing dissidents like Facebook and Google and Twitter and Amazon have done virtually. This is globalization. Globalization erases the boundaries going from the city all the way up to the nation. It's the end of representative government. Now, you know, I know you might think that government is an obstacle, it's a danger, and it doesn't represent you anyway, so who cares, right? Well, I do know who I'm speaking to here, and actually, I agree. But at least in the United States, government was originally conceived as representative. It was like you were a busy farmer or a merchant, and you elected a representative who agreed to give up a few years of their life to handling that stuff so you didn't have to. These positions were never intended to be lifelong gigs. Now people like Pelosi and McConnell are in government for 50 years. Well, why is that? It's because they keep getting voted in. The money that elects them keeps them there. At the top, power has no party. So what do the globalist controllers want? Agenda 21 is designed for management efficiency. Mega corporations want to have harmonized, integrated laws and regulations and as few as possible. So they don't have to change their business or retool to sell in different markets. They want no borders and open markets. They want to kill competition, no matter how small, and engineer demand. They want to deal with as few decision makers as possible, ideally just one. They want to merge with government. They want workers suited for the work needed and easily discarded. They want to own innovation, so they want direct connection with universities. They want to control all resources, human and natural, because you know, humans are a resource, or more likely, you're a hindrance. Mega corporations need full control and total information. This is the digital revolution. It's the fourth industrial revolution. It is the great reset. The previous three industrial revolutions mainly focused on energy and hardware. 
whether it was steam or gas or electronics, these new energies radically restructured society for the family, all the way from the family, basically to work, to cities, to government, everything completely restructured. This is the fourth industrial revolution now, the digital revolution. It's the explosion of technology moving faster than the speed of ethics and oversight, and it eclipses all previous three revolutions. From, uh, it's from uh, artificial intelligence having the potential to change the nature of the human being to robotics being used for policing to smart buildings and sensors that monitor us continuously. This revolution enables an uncertain future. The fourth industrial revolution in the context of the first three represents a phenomenal acceleration in terms of time and the ability to control the masses, transform and disrupt, build back better. When you hear that, know that you can't rebuild it unless you break it first. They call it the new social contract, the one you didn't agree to, the great reset com concept that you, you won't own anything, you'll rent anything you need. You've got to look at that through the lens of private property. You are your most important private property. To lose ownership of your freedom of speech, of movement, basically of your free will, that means you lose what is most important to you. It reduces your expectations for a full life and forces you into a new era of austerity, of scarcity. That ain't easy. It's not easy to do this. The loss of freedom in the most vital of ways, the independence and privacy of the body and mind, that demands what they call the new normal. You don't come to that place without a major crisis. The self-styled globalist controllers who intend to just to you know totally disrupt the future they considered what kind of a crisis would be necessary to make one world governance a reality, one that expands beyond the corporations into our homes and our bodies. The way I look at it, global crisis requires a global response, and that justifies global governance. It really takes a major crisis, a global crisis, to break the identification with your nation and your culture Something like climate change, right? It, it creates an existential terror that we're destroying the planet and our entire way of life is a threat to its continued existence. Hey, that ain't science. Science is made to fit the desired result in this situation. It is the green mask. So behind that mask of environmental concern, you find the lust for global, centralized, totalitarian control. The climate change threat is a stage, it's a phase. It's designed to prepare us for more restrictions and limitations. And now we're experiencing, of course, a much more pervasive and restrictive threat. They brought out the big gun. The new existential threat is COVID-19. In fact, the World Wildlife Fund says that COVID is, quote, nature's response to man's abuse of the environment unquote. Are they serious? Yeah, nature is a terrorist. So invisible, colorless, odorless, scarcely detectable, COVID is the new mask for the new normal. 9-11 was the justification for the security state. COVID enables the surveillance state. 
COVID justifies global enforcement. Truly tailor-made for the new world order. COVID has issued in house arrest, purges of truth tellers, economic collapse, the full empowerment of these mega corporations. And of course, how could I forget the willing, the lineup of the willing, the willing dictators from Macron in France to Ardern in New Zealand, to Trudeau in Canada, to Harris in the U.S., to Cuomo, Newsom, Whitmer, Garcetti, Lightfoot, and dozens of others all across the world. In the competition for the rule of the mega regions, the willing collaborators are stepping up, locally as well, of course, and this is really what the last four years have been about. Separate the wheat from the chaff, the loyal from the dissidents. That's how it's done. Mao Zedong did this in China with his Let a Hundred Flowers Bloom campaign. He encouraged his loyal followers to critique his programs so that he could make them better. But really, he did it to identify and purge his critics, which he did. So what I'm talking about here is power. Those with power want to keep it. Those without it want it. There have always been people who wanted to control the world. What's changed is the capacity for control has expanded in velocity and scope in a way that has never before been possible. So now, as I conclude, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to be brave, to find the joy in simply being alive. Ask yourself, what do I value? Recognize you know, you yourself are part of the reason that we're in this situation. Have you preferred convenience to liberty? The free world requires liberty with responsibility, and that takes work. The work we do can be full of pitfalls, full of controlled opposition, which appears to be the answer, but instead is a sort of a greenwashed, candy-coated, twisted circle of propaganda that goes back to the green mask. So... You've got to stop and think. Never go along to get along. Know that there will be no Switzerland in this new world. No place to hide. So the time to resist is now. Refuse to collaborate. Don't carry a smartphone. Don't volunteer to give your biometrics or DNA. Don't cooperate. Opt out while you can. And please, prepare to work to stay free. It takes all of us working to make this happen. Above all, my friends, remember who you are. Laugh, dance, and love, and join us in creating the greater reset. Thank you so much. Yeah. Wow. That's some powerful stuff right there. Holy cow. <clears throat> she really covered a lot in that talk, didn't she? Yeah, she really wrapped it up. I think this is our final episode. <laughs> um, yeah, you can see why uh, that would have had such a profound impact on me, despite my four years of higher education indoctrination. Yeah, she really lays it out, you know, and um, it was long. We, we really let that whole thing roll, half an hour of her speaking there. Yeah. So for those of you that are still with us. Thank you. It, yeah, thank you. It, uh, and also, you're welcome, because she's amazing. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, she put it so plainly, you know, and I think uh, that was, we first heard that a year ago, I guess, January 21? 
No. A year and a half. A year and a half, yeah, because we're coming up on 23, almost two years. Almost two years, yeah. Okay, yeah. And so the world has changed a lot since then. You know, that wasn't, the vaccines weren't even out when this, when we heard that. But the lockdowns were. And so a couple of thoughts to take after that as we kind of go to wrap this episode up is like, what was she saying? You know, she was saying that the policies that are being presented as saving the people are straight up segues to the next generation of fourth industrial revolution slavery, which is you with no property, because that's one of Klaus Schwab's famous quotes for his World Economic Forum thing is, I will own nothing and be happy. You own nothing and you're happy. Or that's what they're claiming. And so the policies, it's important for us to recognize that the policies we see in front of us being presented as for the greater good, we have to be very careful in deliberating which things we go along with and which things we decide to say no for. Yeah, and asking yourself when you're reading if you are the kind of person who reads laws that are trying to be passed through when you go to the ballot box or whatever, asking yourself to reflect on whether it gives or restricts freedom is a really good meter for knowing how yeah, to vote. Yeah, that's a great way to And if you don't understand it, you shouldn't vote for it, right. which is an interesting one too that I hear people not necessarily do. Um, but yeah, looking at it and thinking about, preferably before you're actually voting. If you vote. If you even vote. Um, but, uh, yeah, understanding, looking at it and thinking about whether it, it restricts freedom or encourages freedom. Mm-hmm. That's a good barometer, I think. Yeah, it's true. And thinking about considering our own lives, you know, in our decisions that are outside of the politics because if you consider that all elections are elected or selected based on fraud and just whatever whoever has the most money gets elected or whoever has nowadays i guess it's not about money really it's whoever has the most corruption I, i don't know but the personal decisions that we take are extremely important in the context of future generations at this juncture because of the connectivity of the internet that, like she was saying, the whole world is now connected, you know? And overall, she's saying, if we go along with these policies, or whether or not we go along, they're moving forward, and we are going to be like little robots. I don't know if anybody has ever seen Ready Player One, or Red 1984, or Brave New World. Every person is accounted for. Black Mirror. Black Mirror. Everyone's accounted for, and you all do the decisions that you are that the government has deemed that you are able to do, and that's it. Um, and so if, if you're listening to this and you think this is some conspiracy theorist mumbo jumbo bullshit, okay, I want to ask a question. Has since COVID started decisions that you would make to decide for yourself how to live or eat or see your family or make or spend money been reduced or suppressed or oppressed by the government at all? I think everyone would say, fuck yeah. We have been shut off from many things. People have lost their jobs. People have been coerced into taking medicine that may or may not be killing them. That may or may not be actual medicine. <laughs> that may or may not be, yeah. 
Yeah. T- taking cock to cocktails or just yeah and so i think we can all agree if we sit back and look at it for a second that the due to covid the government or even the local social pressure of your of your coffee shop your job or your community has pressured you to do something that put the light of your soul out a little bit or if it didn't do that, it at least you likely went along with something that you didn't agree with for the sake of the greater good or for the sake of not fucking up the vibe. I know I did. And that is just the beginning. Yeah, because I mean, that's, yeah, that's just COVID. Mm-hmm. Climate change. There's so much opportunity. There's so there's really more, so yeah. much more opportunity to restrict your movement. You know, it's like okay, yeah. So we had the the COVID lockdowns now, and I've heard so many people talk about this. What's coming next is the climate lockdowns. That makes so much sense. It's obvious. It's obvious that that's what's next. You know, and we've mm-hmm. all been trained to just do it to just lock our little selves away. And no it's for the best. It. I got you know Netflix. Mm-hmm. You know, and then. Um, I can stay home and order DoorDash because those people don't have to worry about the lockdowns, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, this thing is only beginning. And we know this because we are still... COVID is at the back door leaving and something is about to knock on our front door. Um, whether or not it's going to be more subtle or whatever, it's just important to to really consider our place because... We have to decide how we want our kids to live. And this doesn't mean that I'm like afraid, you know? I don't feel scared based on these things that are happening and that have happened, you know? Um, I am upset and I'm angry about a lot of it and the damage that these policies have done. but what this has really done for me is to align is to it's been a it's forced me to align with my values to what do I really believe in you know will I wear a fucking mask again you know if I ha- if I have to to get into a building you know I mean if I have to go to wear a mask to see my dying family member or I won't be let in you know I, I hope that moment doesn't come again or do I have to do something to keep my job or, you know, I mean, I, we definitely, I self-censor all the time around friends and family to keep from like stirring up the shit, even though I don't believe with a lot of it. Um, a lot of those things are really important to consider, but I, I definitely feel now more empowered to actually live a life that I think matters. And that's why I love a better talk. Yeah, it's nice. It's like, it definitely, if you can allow it to, it can, like she said, you know, laugh, enjoy the time with your family, figure out what's really important to you and focus on that, you know, it's nice. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Thanks for sticking with us. I hope we came some way of a full circle. I think it's important to note that, you know, if we see climate change policies, there's a really good chance that that, what does that really mean when you see these types of policies, you know? And we'll, we'll get into in future episodes other things, like with 
you know, gender inequality and equity and all kinds of other things. like Universal basic income. Some of the other... <laughs> exactly. We'll, we'll certainly talk, and even if it's just touching on the other, like UN 17 mm-hmm. sustainability goals or whatever, we'll, we'll definitely be talking about those, especially in context with other things that we're talking about. But um, it's such a big... It's such a big story that has yeah. been worked on for a really long time to come to this point and come to fruition. And like she was saying, there are check, mark, check marks every few years, 2020, 2030, 2035, you know. And so it took a long time for um, this plan to come into play and it's going to take time for it to unfold. But it's moving quickly and it's obvious as it's unfolding around us. And like Paul was saying a second ago, you know, when this talk happened that Rosa Quarry did, um, the shots hadn't even rolled out yet, right? And she mm-hmm. was talking about the impacts of, like, I mean, she didn't directly say vaccination, but, like, you know, you could put that word, you could sub that in for a lot of the digital stuff she was talking about. And so, yeah, this idea of control in general um, and what that means, how climate change plays a role, how trans ideology plays a role, universal basic income, all of these things. They got the 17 points. Yeah, that I mean, it's all it yeah. all boils down to mm-hmm. control of the choices that we make and the information that is maybe like bought and paid for that they're teaching our children. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's complicated, super complex, really fun to get into. This was a fun one to talk about. Yeah. My college experience a little bit and climate change in general. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It's uh it's just really helped me to look at these things and to be like, what does this really mean? You know, and what does this mean for a generation from now? And is this what I need in my in my life and what I want in my life if I'm going to live my best life and not just be with my like ready player one where I have my little headset and one well, more so what credits, is the life for our cards. children because yeah. the children are the target of this whole thing mm-hmm. you know um, I in my opinion mm-hmm. I should say <laughs> yeah it makes sense I mean they're the change the agents of change or the children but um, yeah so whether or not you know I guess the end of the thing it's like are you know what do these people think about climate change like whether or not climate change is happening based on the credible pollution that we do uh, whether or not it's based on geoengineering from the government to create the policies that they want to inflict. I don't really even give a shit personally whether or not climate change is or is not happening. I just... You heard, you know, it, here, you heard it here first, folks. I just think <laughs> it climate change is being used to reduce my and my future offspring progenies liberties and to reduce their ability to live a life in touch with nature where they can own land and be free and drive trucks and have guns and shit like and grow plants and have chickens and travel like i could give a fuck about climate change if it means let the planet i'll play the george carlin thing but the planet can fuck itself if it means that my kids don't get to live a free life honestly um and since we can see Dan Pena, the billionaire that lives in the castle, who's from Compton. You can find him on YouTube talking crazy. His argument against the whole thing is like, have you ever heard of investors investing in beachfront property anywhere in the United States on mortgages from banks? Why would a bank lend on a mortgage on the 
coast of anywhere in the world for these giant properties, whether it's Bob's $100,000 house or a $100 million condo resort on the beach. If we're supposed to be underwater because of sea level rising, the the paperwork that the banks put together, none of this, it wouldn't get approved. So a lot of this shit doesn't make sense in many reasons. I think I'm kind of rambling now. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're mentioning a lot of good things. We could put the George Carlin thing in the show notes for people to listen to because it's a really fun one. And the, the Pena one. Um, yeah, I'll put them in the show notes. It's I'll, pretty fun. I'll play after this. We'll call it for now. Thanks for joining us, folks. Um, do you think that we... Did I just talk in circles or did we make a good episode? I think we, I think we got somewhere. Well, we're learning, you know. Um, we're seeing what's up. We're just figuring it out, guys. We're figuring it out, just like you all. <laughs> and... But we're trying to have fun when we do it. Yeah, we do. I'm going to put, after this, when we sign up. What's that? Nothing. When we (laughs) sign off, I'll put, I'm going to play a nine-minute George Carlin clip on Saving the Planet after this. And then after that, it'll be the end. If you want to listen, stick around and hear that. Love it. Beautiful. Okay. Thanks, everyone. We'll uh, see you next time. See you next time. See, I'm not one of these people who's worried about everything. You got people like this around you. Country's full of them now. Around all day long, every minute of the day, worried about everything. Worried about the air, worried about the water, worried about the soil. Worried about insecticides, pesticides, food additives, carcinogens. Worried about radon gas, worried about asbestos. Worried about saving endangered species. Let me tell you about endangered species, all right? Saving endangered species is just one more arrogant attempt by humans to control nature. It's arrogant meddling. It's what got us in trouble in the first place. Doesn't anybody understand that? Interfering with nature. Over 90%, over, way over, 90% of all the species that have ever lived on this planet, ever lived, are gone. They're extinct. We didn't kill them all. They just disappeared. That's what nature does. They disappear these days at the rate of 25 a day. And I mean regardless of our our behavior. Irrespective of how we act on this planet, 25 species that were here today will be gone tomorrow. Let them go gracefully. Leave nature alone. Haven't we done enough? We're so self-important. So self-important. Everybody's going to save something now. Save the trees. Save the bees. Save the whales. Save those snails. And the greatest arrogance of all, save the planet. What? Are these fucking people kidding me? Save the planet? We don't even know how to take care of ourselves yet. We haven't learned how to care for one another. We're going to save the fucking planet? I'm getting tired of that shit. Tired of that shit. I'm tired of fucking Earth Day. I'm tired of these self-righteous environmentalists, these white bourgeois liberals who think the only thing wrong with this country is there aren't enough bicycle paths. People trying to make the world safe for their Volvos. Besides, environmentalists don't give a shit about the planet. They don't care about the planet. Not in the abstract, they don't. Not in the abstract, they don't. You know what they're interested in? A clean place to live their own habitat. They're worried that someday in the future they might be personally inconvenienced. Narrow, unenlightened self-interest doesn't impress me. Besides, there is nothing wrong with the planet. Nothing wrong with the planet. The planet is fine. 
The people are fucked. Difference. Difference. The planet is fine. Compared to the people, the planet is doing great. It's been here four and a half billion years. Did you ever think about the arithmetic? planet has been here four and a half billion years. We've been here, what, 100,000? Maybe 200,000? And we've only been engaged in heavy industry for a little over 200 years. 200 years versus four and a half billion. And we have the conceit to think that somehow we're a threat? That somehow we're going to put in jeopardy this beautiful little blue-green ball that's just a-floating around the sun? The planet has been through a lot worse than us. Been through all kinds of things worse than us. Been through earthquakes, volcanoes, plate tectonics, continental drift, solar flares, sunspots, magnetic storms, the magnetic reversal of the poles, hundreds of thousands of years of bombardment by comets and asteroids and meteors, worldwide floods, tidal waves, worldwide fires, erosion, cosmic rays, recurring ice ages, and we think some plastic bags and some aluminum cans are going to make a difference? The planet... The planet, the planet isn't going anywhere. We are. We're going away. Pack your shit, folks. We're going away. And we won't leave much of a trace either. Thank God for that. Maybe a little styrofoam. Maybe. A little styrofoam. Planet will be here and we'll be long gone. Just another failed mutation. Just another closed-end biological mistake. An evolutionary cul-de-sac. The planet will shake us off like a bad case of fleas. A surface nuisance. You want to know how the planet's doing? Ask those people at Pompeii who are frozen into position from volcanic ash how the planet's doing. Want to know if the planet's all right? Ask those people in Mexico City or Armenia or a hundred other places buried under thousands of tons of earthquake rubble if they feel like a threat to the planet this week. <laughs> How about those people in Kilauea, Hawaii who build their homes right next to an active volcano and then wonder why they have lava in the living room? <laughs> the planet will be here for a long, long, long time after we're gone and it will heal itself it will cleanse itself because that's what it does it's a self-correcting system the air and the water will recover the earth will be renewed and if it's true that plastic is not degradable well the planet will simply incorporate plastic into a new paradigm the earth plus plastic <laughs> the earth doesn't share our prejudice towards plastic plastic came out of the earth the earth probably sees plastic as just another one of its children could be the only reason the Earth allowed us to be spawned from it in the first place. It wanted plastic for itself. Didn't know how to make it. Needed us. Could be the answer to our age-old philosophical question, why are we here? Plastic. Assholes. So... So, 
the plastic is here, our job is done, we can be phased out now. And I think that's really started already, don't you? I mean, to be fair, the planet probably sees us as a mild threat, something to be dealt with. And I'm sure the planet will defend itself in, in, in the uh, manner of a large organism, like a beehive or an ant colony can muster a defense. I'm sure the planet will think of something. What would you do if you were the planet trying to defend against this pesky, troublesome species? Let's see. What might... Hmm, viruses. Viruses might be good. They seem vulnerable to viruses. And uh, viruses are tricky, always mutating and forming new strains whenever a vaccine is developed. Perhaps this first virus could be one that, that compromises the immune system of these creatures. Perhaps a human immunodeficiency virus making them vulnerable to all sorts of other diseases and infections that might come along. And maybe it could be spread sexually, making them a little reluctant to engage in the act of reproduction. Well, that's a poetic note. And it's a start. And I can dream, can I? See, I don't worry about the little things. Bees, trees, whales, snails. I think we're part of a greater wisdom than we will ever understand. A higher order. Call it what you want. Know what I call it? The big electron. The big electron. Whoa. 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 It doesn't punish. It doesn't, it doesn't judge at all. It just is. And so are we. For a little while. Thanks for being here with me for a little while tonight. All right. Well, that's it for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to support the show, you can make a donation on PayPal. You can find me at Mr. Paul Bry at M-R-P-A-U-L-B-R-I. Or feel free to pick up a copy of my book uh, recently on Amazon called International Backpacking and Domestic Travel, What I Learned While Traveling the World, a Comprehensive How-To Guidebook. You'll find that link below in the show notes. Take care, thanks again, and grow food, not fear.